Well, um, this morning we have a special treat. Uh, ben, the intern, the present intern. I just wanted to say that, make, make sure. We have some alumni interns here um, today. I just think they want to see what goes on um, and w- want to watch other people uh, squirm as well, Ben. So uh, Ben's going to be preaching for us this morning. Uh, God has blessed this church uh, for past many years uh, with interns and opportunities to plug into young men's lives uh, as we uh, seek uh, for them to go into the ministry later and to uh, go out from out from here and bless other churches as well. And uh, Ben's been a great, uh, great summer intern for us. Uh, my kids have benefited personally. Our family has. And uh, this morning, I, I want you to... Uh, I know there's a sense when somebody else is preaching, you kind of sit back and go, I wonder how they're going to do, you know, and you kind of get your your page out and you say, they said, um, this many times. I don't want you to uh, think about that at all. You know why? Because if you'd be up here, you'd say, um, way more times than Ben will uh, this morning. What I want you to focus on is an important message from God's word. Uh, When I think uh, I got to hear it first service and I'm excited for you all uh, this morning as a pastor, an important message on what it means uh, to walk in the spirit. Um, And so Ben's going to come and share. I hope your hearts are ready uh, to hear God's word. Come on, Ben. Yeah, my, my name is Ben Rausch. I was a summer intern here, and uh, it's just been an absolute joy t- to, to uh, work with the youth of this church. Um, most of them were in, were in the last service, but it's just it's been an absolute joy. I've gotten to meet so many of you, and you guys have been so good to me, and it just like continually like blessed me. And like if I try to like repay you, it just doesn't happen, and you give you give more. So this this church has been incredible. I've learned so much. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Um, this is my last day here, so I'm gonna preach this sermon, and then, I guess, get the heck out of Dodge. So, um, I guess, partly I get to say whatever I want, but <laughs> not really. Um, yeah, so it's just been an absolute joy. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to bring the Word to you this morning. Um, and uh, let's pray and open up our, our time. God, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you for, for your Word that reveals it to us, and that you, you teach us how to live this Christian walk, and that you don't leave us in the dark on our own. God, I pray that we would see that from your word tonight and that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, want to, I want to um, compare two things this morning. I want to compare a ladder and a train. A ladder and a train. They're two entirely different things, except that both take you somewhere that you weren't before. Uh, so a, a ladder goes up and down. You, you climb it. Uh, the higher and higher you get, the more unstable life around you becomes. The more nervous you become of falling and it gets wobbly and you're, you're, you're unsure of your own balance and then, and then, and then, and then you fall and you fall hard. And, uh, uh, and, and there's this idea where the higher the ladder takes you, the farther and the faster and the harder you fall. On the flip side, a train is grounded. It moves in a linear fashion, like back and forth. Um, it, it's on tracks. The, the longer you ride, the more confident you become that it's going to stay on the track. It hasn't let you down thus far, and it won't let you down in the future. Um, there's no wobbling. There's no self-effort of climbing. And most importantly, there's, there's no falling. It's just safe, consistent travel. Uh, there's, there's really no comparison between the two, except that both take you somewhere where you weren't before. Um, uh, and there are parts of a train that, 
Like, you can't even put in any category with a ladder. Uh, so a train has an engine, <laughs> obviously, and, uh, and it, it, it powers, it's powered by that engine, while a ladder, you're the one doing, doing like the powering, and you're the one doing the climbing. Um, and you can be sitting on a train car, 15 cars behind the lead car that's being powered by the engine and going the exact same speed as the engine because that's what determines uh, the speed of the train is the one in control of the engine. And it's not determined by us sitting in the cars, but by the one in control. Um, and so this, this, this entire summer um, in the youth ministry, we've been going through the book of Galatians. Book Galatians. And what Paul is doing is he's pitting two things next to each other. And it, in one respect, it almost seems like the difference between a ladder and a train. Like they're so opposites. Um, that it's like, how could you even follow and like think that a ladder is better for you to get somewhere? Um, but we... The more we study it, the more we find that it, it is easy for us to choose the latter. And, and maybe a better illustration would be to compare a train and a roller coaster. They're both on tracks. They both have cars. Uh, they, they both move together. Except the roller coaster is a heck of a lot more fun, right? <laughs> Twists, turns, up, down, loops, corkscrews, uh, G-forces, which slam your head in the back of the seat, you know, um, like clamped, cramped legs, you know, <laughs> all those things. Um, and of course, the like proverbial slow uphill clicking—it's like click, click, and like you just you're going up, 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 and then you like there's this brief moment where you're at the very top. And it's kind of like life's good, you know. Like <laughs> you can see, I can see my house from here. Like uh, there's there's the whole park, you know. Um, but what are you waiting for the entire time when you're at the top? You're waiting for the fall back down, right? Exactly, you're waiting for the fall back down, um, and despite weird people like me who actually enjoy that part, if we had to put it into words, we'd say things like, uh, I feel sick, I feel like I want to throw up, uh, my heart's about to leap out of my chest, um, why didn't I take the train, like all those kinds of things, um, only to end where? But in the exact same place where we began, right? And we get off and do it again. Um, to put this into to what I want to talk about this morning. Many of us in our Christian walk live life on this roller coaster where it's just up and down and up and down. And sometimes we describe it, it's great. Like we're at the top and we can see everything and we have this clear picture, uh, but we're just waiting for that fall. And then because of our newfound height, we've fallen farther than ever before and it hurts worse than ever before. Um, and we feel like it's the pits. We feel like it's terrible. We feel sick. Um, feel like your heart wants to leap out of your chest. Um, we had this great, we had these great aspirations and, and goals for ourselves. Normally, this time comes like comes right after a camp or, right, or a conference or a retreat or or, or chrysalis or a wana or, or whatever it is that you do. And we we come back with these great goals and aspirations that we're going to share the gospel with all of our friends and, and we're never going to lust again. And we're we're going to we're going to never lash out at our kids in anger. We're always going to be uh, the, this faithful Christian, only to set that expectation and to fall and to feel like we've fallen farther than ever before. Um, and it's normally right about this time, too, for the high schoolers. Uh, it's like three weeks after camp that that, that was like high feelings start to go away. Uh, the ride finishes and we end in the exact same spot where we began. Frustration, right? So much frustration. Can anyone relate? <laughs> or is it just me? Uh, I, I certainly can. We got, we got a ladder or, or a roller coaster versus a train. Uh, and with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 16. Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16. We'll be going through end of the chapter to verse 26. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Let's stand in, in honor of the reading of God's word. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying each other. You can have a seat. Um, we're kind of like like flying you in to the end of Galatians. Uh, we've been going through with the youth ministry all summer, so uh, this passage will make more sense to put it in context. And so what, what's been going on in the entire book is Paul's been pitting these two things next to each other. Uh, you have this, this, this false spirituality, and you have true spirituality. And all summer long with, with the youth ministry, I was kind of like walking back and forth, saying false spirituality, and then walking back and forth, true spirituality. And it's like I'm watching a tennis match going on inside their heads, you know. As they, as they move back and forth. And so Paul's been describing what a truly spiritual life looks like. Um, the Galatians were on the track, the people who this book was written to were on the track of false spirituality. But the thing about false spirituality is we don't think it's false, right? Like, otherwise we wouldn't be in it. And so uh, we're, we think we're actually being spiritual. And we think we're the ones who are making ourselves right in the sight of God. We think that we're the ones who are making God love us by our actions. And that he's going to look down and smile upon us because of the things we do. Uh, and the Galatians were falling into this. And when, when the book was written, uh, Judaism was still very much a prominent uh, thing in, in Christianity. And so Jesus had just recently died and resurrected. So you had all these Old Testament sacrifices, laws, ceremonies that have been going on for, for thousands of years. And, and suddenly um, it says it's been fulfilled in Christ. But you have these people who are saying... Uh, and the, the false teachers were coming in to the churches in Galatia and were saying, yes, Jesus is good, and like you have to have him. But if you want to be truly spiritual, you have to do these Old Testament laws as well. If you want God to really love you, you have to do these Old Testament things as well. You have to perform the ceremony of circumcision. You have to do this ceremony hand-washing. You have to eat these foods, not other foods. Um, and so the Galatians weren't living a truly spiritual life. And it's easy for us to see that because they were trusting in these things in order to be, to be made right before God. Um, so I don't think we struggle with like trying to keep the Old Testament law in order to have a right standing before God, right? Like, like we love bacon, and so we gladly partake of it. Um, so the Galatians weren't spiritual, and it's easy for us to see that, but can we fall into the same trap? Absolutely. 
it's just masked, right? It's hidden. It's hidden by moralism. It's hidden by, by just good works. We must up our strength and we straighten our ties and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to show ourselves off to the world, to show off how good and righteous we are, that through our own self-effort and fueling our own pride and ego. Um, but today we're going to look at this passage and see what God has to say of what a truly spiritual life looks like. Uh, so we'll jump in Galatians, Galatians 5. And so to give you, um, that's kind of like the background for the whole book, and then to do a quick fly through the book, also um, we have false spirituality and we have true spirituality. Um, and in Galatians 1.6, Paul says, you're, you're not spiritual because you're following another gospel, right? Like you're, you're turning to another gospel, and you, instead he says, turn to the one true gospel which I preached to you originally, because that was from God. Um, he says, a falsely spiritual life is not one of slavery, but it's one with freedom in Christ. A falsely spiritual life is not one, is one that's not in step with the truth of the gospel, while a true spiritual life is one that's in step with the truth of the gospel. Um, a false spiritual life would say you're justified by your works, but in Galatians 2.16, a truly spiritual life says you're justified by faith. In 2.21, it says that you're living outside of grace. If you're now in this false spiritual life, he characterizes it, and he says like you're actually living outside of the realm of grace. And a truly spiritual life, he says you're crucified with Christ, and you now live by faith. A falsely spiritual life, he says you grow through the flesh. That's falsely spiritual life. Well, a true spiritual life is hearing by faith. A falsely spiritual life is living by works, which, put, which puts you under a curse. And a true spiritual life is received by the promise through faith. And to sum it all up, Paul says this one word, uh, they're under the law. False spirituality is under the law, while true spirituality is believing in a promise. It's believing in a promise in that um, they're, they're, the law makes you a slave, and then you're a slave to that law. And if you believe in the promise, then you're free. You're free from the law. And then the last passage I talked with the high schoolers about before this one was, is how does that freedom, like, what does it look like to be free? And Paul says that freedom is expressed through love. It's expressed through love. And so then you, you ask, um, what does it mean to be called to freedom in accordance to love? How do I take these abstract concepts like freedom and love, which we throw out so often, especially in America, and make them like concrete realities in my life so that I live them? Like, like little old me, how do I actually make that happen? Thankfully, Paul gives us the answer, right? He gives us the answer of how we live in love and in freedom without feeling the burden of legalism or moralism or works before God. And the answer to the question is, we're going to find today, that such a reality, um, such truth, only becomes a reality through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, that kind of life of freedom expressed through love only becomes a reality through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, so I've titled my sermon today um, this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Title my sermon this. So walk by the Spirit, not the flesh, because you're not under the law. And this will produce the true spirituality and Christ-like fruit that you've been attempting to produce, all because you belong to Christ, and therefore your flesh, along with His passions and desires, have been crucified, so walk by the Spirit. That's my sermon title. Um, or the, like... Abridged version, walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. Because you are Christ and your flesh has been crucified, so walk by the Spirit. Or the like 
extremely abridged Dr. Seuss version. <laughs> walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Uh, so how do we walk by the Spirit? What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? That's what this passage tells us. And, and number one, it's we yield to the Spirit. We yield to the Spirit. From verses 16 to 18. And verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So yielding to the Spirit enables believers to triumph over the flesh. It enables them to conquer the flesh. And the reason is because there's this battle going on. Like if you have to triumph over something, it's because there's an enemy that is trying to triumph over you. And so there's this battle going on, and it rages, and it's the flesh, false spirituality, between the Spirit, between the flesh and the Spirit. Uh, And so what is the flesh? Uh, the flesh is that ego or that, that, that need or desire, the emptiness that uses like all its resources around it to fulfill itself without going to God. That's the flesh. It's the I who tries to satisfy me without God. Um, and Galatians says that old I, that old I tries to satisfy me without God, has been crucified. In Galatians 2.20, it's been crucified. And a new I is Christ in me. So the flesh is that impulse, that, that, that ego that tries to satisfy the emptiness of life that we all feel, both moral and immoral desires, apart from God. That's the flesh. Um, on the flip side, the Spirit. Paul's talking about the Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit has come, and it's taken control. Think of it like, like a war, and the beach has been secured. Like, the beach has been secured, and it will never be lost. Like, like this... this this fortress will never be taken, and it's the stronghold. And it's there, it's overtaken the enemy, but there's still like pockets of resistance like, like running throughout that still wage battle. And the flesh is still active, and the war still rages. Uh, and it is, if you want victory over your flesh, if you want victory over those pockets of resistance, you must walk by the Spirit, this passage says. So slavery has... Paul's been talking about would be giving into the flesh. Giving into the flesh. That would be slavery. And yielding to the Holy Spirit would be true freedom. To define those terms a little better. Um, and so it says, it says walk. It's a command. And the idea is that it's a day-by-day event. It's a, it's a day-by-day choice. Um, one of the things, like, like camps and, and conferences and, event, and like those things aren't bad. Like, like we do them here and like they're, they're not bad things. But what they, they give us the sense is like you go to that one event and then you're good for a long time. Like, like you, do, you don't need to do any more. You're good for a long time. But the idea is that this is a day-by-day walking. This is a day-by-day being in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, that's one of the more comforting verses in all the Bible, right? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sounds like a promise. It's because it is, right? a promise. And this doesn't mean that the temptations of the flesh won't come. It doesn't mean the temptations aren't attractive. But through the Spirit, you triumph over those desires through the power of the Holy Spirit because those old desires, those old, that old flesh has been crucified. It's already died. So, so we yield our lives to the Spirit. Um, and like yield, we kind of have a, like a strange uh, notion with that term, but like like yield, we think that it, like if there's nothing in the way, like we don't have to yield, right? So if you're driving on the freeway, you look in your mirror, there's nothing, you step on it, right? There's, there's no yielding then. Um, but when something's in the way, that's when you yield. And so that's what happens is sin, temptation comes at us, and we don't see anything stopping us, right? Like, like 
I could do this right now. I could give in to this flesh. I could give in to this sin. But the reality is that the Spirit is always there and we need to yield to Him. Give up our rights to the Spirit for control of our life. We walk by the Spirit. And then verse 17, kind of, you ask the question, why walk by the Spirit? 17 gives that, gives that answer. It's because the battle is fierce. So look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. For the desires of the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another. Because the battle's fierce. Like, like it, it rages on. There's, there's an enemy, and like, the desires of the Spirit, the desires of the flesh are like astronomically opposed to one another. Like, like nothing about them is the same. And in the very beginning of the book, Paul gives one of his like normal like Paul greetings, just like I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, greet you, you know, blah blah. And then he says, in order to deliver you from this present evil age, like like deliver, like rescue out of deliver from this present evil age that we live in. How does that happen? How, how are we delivered from this present evil age aside from death and then being glorified with God in heaven? Like, how, how do we have deliverance now in life? And I think Paul's giving the answer here. It's that we, it's through that power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's through the indwelling Holy Spirit in our own hearts. The battle is fierce and, and these things are raging against each other. Uh, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, and they are opposed to one another. And then it says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Or, uh, that way you are not to do whatever you want, as, as other versions say. Um, and the idea is that, like, it's not just like this, this coasting through life where you get to do whatever you want. Like, this is not what it is. Um, like, coasting doesn't mean walk by the spirit, and it doesn't mean, like, like, if you coast, then you won't gratify any of your desires. Um, but it's that walking by the Spirit, those like those sinful fleshly desires will not be realized. And then verse 18 also gives a reason why we walk by the Spirit, and that's to be free from the law. It's to be free from the law. So let's look at verse 18. It says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Um, and you can kind of say, like, this is what summarizes the entire book of Galatians. Galatians has been talking about this thing called the law. And the law was what was established in the Old Testament that was supposed to, as Galatians says, point them to Christ. Point them that, that they can't do it on their own and that, that they need Jesus to do it for them, basically. Um, what happened was the Galatians were going back to that. They're going back, back to what it meant to be under the law. Um, and that's kind of how we all are. We're all born under the law. And it might not be like Old Testament law, but it might just be like natural moral law that we're all born under. And he says, why walk by the Spirit? Because you're going to be free from the law. And Galatians uses some like striking words to describe what it means to be under the law. So in 3.10, uh, in Galatians 3.10, it says to be under the law is to be under a curse. Uh, Galatians 3.22 says um, to be under the law is to be under sin. Galatians 3.25 calls the law a babysitter, basically, is what, is what it's saying. Um, and Galatians 4.2 says it, it's a guardian or a manager that's supposed to like be with you until you recognize that you need Christ. And also it says if you're under the law, then you're enslaved to the elemental principles of this world. And then it also says if you're under the law, you're in need of redemption. And so to kind of synthesize all of that, 
if you live under the law, what you don't live in is grace. You don't live in grace. You don't have it. You're not in that realm of it because you're trying to work constantly for a right standing before God. So freedom from the law does not mean freedom to sin, but it means freedom from sin. And therefore, to put yourselves under the law, under this false spirituality that Paul has been hammering against, is in essence to like open the floodgates of sin to control your life. right? Because here he's saying if they're opposed to one another, and if walking by the Spirit is how you don't gratify the desires of the flesh, and he's saying Spirit is opposed to law, if you're living under the law, then you could say like... <laughs> Like the floodgates are going to open and the sin is going to control you. And it's ironic, isn't it? Like, like the Galatians uh, were doing these Old Testament sacrifices. They were doing these Old Testament ceremonies and laws. And at that time in history, that looked like a really, really spiritual thing. Like that, that looked like spirituality because Jesus had just recently died and rose again and fulfilled the law. But you had this whole system that God designed, and now it's done away with, but like doing those things is what looks like spirituality. And so like it's the same with us when we are like doing our good works in order to have a right standing before God. Like It looks shiny on the outside. It looks like we're being spiritual, but in reality, we're living under the law, which is allowing sin to control our life. It's terribly ironic and, and almost counterintuitive because we think we're like building up our own righteousness that would make us more holy when in reality we're living under the law, we're living under the curse, which is opening up the floodgates for sin in our life. But there's hope, right? If you follow the Spirit, you will not be subject to the tyranny of sin. If you follow the Spirit, you will not be subject to the tyranny of sin. So that's the first thing. Yield to the Spirit. Uh, and, and the second is that, that the evidences of our life can be discerned clearly, like, like, or, 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 or discern things clearly. Uh, verses 19 to 23. Um, interesting words. It says this, Now the works of the flesh, um, the flesh that's opposed to the Spirit, the evidence is, or the fruit of that is, it's evident. It's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the works of the flesh, right? And they sound like like nasty, like fleshly works. Like to, to, just the names, like just kind of great against our ears of those things because we just know them to be bad and evil. Um, and that is the result of walking by the flesh, you could say, by living in the flesh, by being under the curse of the law. Um, and so we think that, that when we're, we're working for a right standing before God, that we're producing really spiritual things. But look what he says you're actually producing. It's the exact opposite. And it's, it's just these heinous words that just like, again, they just grate against us, right? Um, and he's saying that, in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Like, the things that you do are, are easy to discern. And the idea, I won't go th- take the time to go through this entire list, like, word by word and, and describe it. Don't, don't worry. Um, but um, the idea is that it's easy to discern and that these are the results of living under the flesh. Living under the flesh. Um, and uh, Paul just had to put the end, like, the, had to 
tack his like little thing onto the end, right? Uh, it says, he goes in the end of the list, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then, just in case like you thought you skipped that list somehow, like you didn't fall into one of those categories, he says, um, and things like these. <laughs> it's like Paul's covering his bases, like, in, in case your little vice like doesn't fit into one of those neat categories, it's, and things like these. Like, by no way is this list exhaustive, right? And then, therefore, and he says at the end, he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and so those who give themselves over to the law in order to like be made right before God, and who are trusting in their own works for God to love them, um, are evidencing that they're under the control of the old man. They're showing that they're under the control of the flesh. Um, and the flesh doesn't justify... Um, and he's not walking by the Spirit, and he's walking under the law, and the law never justifies. So that's how Paul can say they will not inherit the kingdom of God. On the flip side, Paul gives the fruit to the Spirit, right? He says they're also easy to discern. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And it's like, it's like a breath of fresh air after all those like evil words, right? It's like those words just like wash over us and cleanse us from, from the evilness of those of the works of the flesh. Um, and we like we love those words and we know them. We probably know these verses by heart. It's the fruit of the spirit, and that's the life we want to live, right? Like we want to be loving, we want to be peace, we want to be kind, patient, faithful, gentle, self-control, right? That's how we want to live. But the law does not produce that kind of a transformed life. But it's only produced through the power of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling our hearts. Um, and sometimes I think that we can bring our like twisted view on Christianity onto this text and just to, to mess it up. And to think that like like these lists are our spiritual to-do list. And like I'm, I'm going to go through and like, like, like try to guilt you into each one how you're not loving enough or how you're not joy and joyful enough. And you say, okay, I need to be more loving, or I'm good on joy, but I need to be more peaceable, or something like that. Um, this isn't your spiritual to-do list where you're burdened by its enormous requirements, right? Like There's so much there that it just becomes a burden. Um, because it's not by our own strength. It's not by our own strength. As, as uh, Galatians 3 says, he asks this question. He says, you received... Well, he says, did you receive... Um, the Spirit. Like, we're, like we're, was your Christian life begun by the Spirit or by works of the law? And the answer is like, the Spirit was given to you. The Spirit was given to you by the hearing of faith. Then in verse 5 also he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, does he who gives you the Spirit, does he who gives you salvation and then also like is active in your life did he do that by you working for it, or did he do that by the hearing of faith? And the answer, of course, is the hearing of faith. And so when we come to this passage, it's almost like he's, again, answering his question that he gave in chapter 3, and he's saying, the same way that your Christian walk began is the same way you live it now. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by our own strength. Like a, like a kind of a side note, I guess, that this passage shows is, is like the list of the fruits of the Spirit begins with love. Begins with love. And, and earlier I talked about how like it's walking by the Spirit is, is like a tangible way for freedom, these abstract concepts of freedom and expressed through love, 
to be shown in our life. And love is given here first because I think it's kind of like, like the glue that holds all these different fruits of the Spirit together. Um, and, and in Galatians 5, earlier in verse 14, Paul says, the entire law is fulfilled in one word, and that's love. And then he says, um, against such things there is no law. Verse 23, look down. It says, gentleness, self-control, and then against such things there is no law. Um, when you walk by the Spirit, we're not under the burden and the condemnation of the law because it's gone. Because Jesus fulfilled it. Instead, we're fulfilling the law through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, and this is, again, one of those like summaries of the book. Um, against such things, there is no law. Like, like the, the law and that burden that it places on you where like you realize because what the law does is it re, you like it shows you that you're in sin because now there's a rule that says you couldn't do it but you've been doing it the whole time and you realize that you're in sin and he says because when you walk by the spirit against such things there is no law and then number three um, how do we walk by the spirit it says uh, we belong to Christ and we have crucified the desires of the flesh. Or it's, or it's know your identity in Christ. It's like, how will you walk by the Spirit? We must know our identity in Christ. Verse 24 says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It says you belong to Christ, right? You belong to Christ and have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. That flesh, that ego that I talked about, that tries to fulfill itself without God, it's been crucified with Christ because Christ was crucified. So when he was crucified, because we're united in Christ, because we know who we are as, 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 as heirs with Christ, those passions and those evil desires also have been crucified. And so the, the flesh, which had the beach, which, which had control, which had the throne essentially, was like, like dethroned at the cross of Christ. It wasn't by the law of Moses, and it certainly wasn't by our own righteous self-efforts. The flesh was dethroned at the cross of Christ. And so we look to that for our right standing before God. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, or if this is going to be us, we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Again, it's that day-to-day thing. He kind of closes this whole section the same way it began, by saying, walk by the Spirit. And then he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying each other. Um, and none of this, none of this walking by the Spirit is to promote ourselves. It's not so we become conceited. It's not so we look down our noses at someone else or, or we envy someone else. Um, but it's to magnify Christ, right? So we live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. And so to close, it's kind of like, okay, still... The phrase, walk by the Spirit, can seem so ambiguous. I'm like, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Um, I think all that I said with like what Christ has accomplished, what it means to walk by the Spirit, means that our heart is resting in the promises of God. We live a life of faith in the Son of God who loves us based on Christ and not the things that we do. 
and we trust that Christ loves us or that, and that God loves us because of Christ, despite the fact that God sees us for who we really are. It's the idea of like having faith or trusting, believing in Christ, resting. And those are interesting terms because like they're things that we do, but it, it, it's hard to do at the same time. We trust in the promises of God. So how we define ourselves, how we define spirituality isn't based on some like set of rules that we made up and then pride ourselves because we kept them. But we define our spirituality based on who we are in Christ. And then this faith, this trust, this believing and this rest is the foundation and kind of is like is like the fountain for our obedience. It's the fountain for our obedience. It's it's putting it's finally putting the the horse before the cart, right? And because we can rest in, in Christ righteousness and not our own, now we can obey. Now we can obey out of love, right? And out of freedom. Not in this attitude of if I don't obey, God's not gonna love me. But I obey because God loves me. It's entirely different things. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So to bring it back to the kind of like the train or the ladder or the, the, uh, the roller coaster, right? Like, like some of us live that life just like up and down. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's terrible. Uh, some of us are climbing to reach God. Uh, that's the way I used to live where I was always trying to recreate these spiritual highs where I feel really good about myself because of all the good things I've done. And the reality is that we just end up in the exact same place that we started, full of frustration and sin. Uh, I just want to say, just get off the roller coaster, right? Like, you don't have to keep trying to recreate those feelings. What you do is you ride the train that's powered by God and the Holy Spirit, and you walk in that, where, it, where it's secure, where, where you're resting in the finished work of Christ, where it's not this striving up the ladder, in order to please God, but you're just resting in the finished work of Christ and what He has done for you, believing that that is what justifies you before God and that is what makes you holy before Him. We walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. God, we're so weak and we fall away from this so easily. God, I pray that you would continually draw us to yourself and that we would that we would see you for who you are and love you and, and trust and rest in your promises and not our works, God. God I pray for that, um, for the Holy Spirit would, would lead our lives and we would live it in his power, not our own. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ben. Um, what a blessing to think of uh, the finished work of